Episode 5, An Irish Devil's Coal, by R.W. Murphy. Brother Joe decided to ignore the advice of his older, wiser sibling. He concluded that he needed to go downstairs and have a chat with the four of them. His intent was probably pure, sharing our adventures of the day with them and rationalizing our lateness were noble objectives. Conversely, I just knew, without the least reservation, that it was a really bad mistake. He ignored my warnings. For me, I chose the avoidance strategy I mentioned and headed to bed with the book that had been the root proximate cause of the entire course of events. I planned to face the music a few hours later, knowing that Joe had become a self-destructive lightning rod and might consume most of their anger before then. That being the case, I never really saw what Joe actually did that night, but I can conjure up what has to be a reasonable facsimile in my mind fairly easily. There are two living witnesses, Joe and my dad, but neither are talking at this point. Picture my mom sitting there with two of her good friends, in front of whom she would become mortified by two of her son's behaviors. Bad enough, right? Now picture Joe coming down the stairs, looking like a survivor from the Battle of Gettysburg, and talking ragtime. Bloody, dirty, torn trousers, drunk, somewhat incoherent, flying solo without his partner in crime. Any attempt on his part to explain away the events were subsumed by my parents' horror just at the sight alone. The facts did not matter. Their friends knew it too. They listened to Joe's rant for a bit, but having figuratively held my parents' hand during what had been a long night and morning, their job was done. The boys were home safely, and what was to happen next was between the Murphys, not them. They tactfully bid goodbyes, and were out of there as quickly as decorum would allow. What I did not know at that point is what part of the whole thing would most upset my mother, with the continuum running from rudeness, due to the late hour, to carnage, Joe's physical state. My guess is that it was not long after the guests had left that my folks ordered Joe to his room, and they shut down what had become a form of situation room, for the last six or seven hours, going to bed themselves. Yes, I had avoided the direct confrontation. However, I probably had not factored in the simmering anger of an Irish mother who perceived her cubs to be in mortal danger, especially one of them. Several hours later, when I woke up with the obligatory hangover, commensurate with the prior day's partaking, and went downstairs from my bedroom to the first floor, I expected to have to start some serious explaining. It was not required. The house was abandoned. Mother, father, and Joe were all gone. The last being as culpable as myself, I figured they must have just mercifully let me sleep in if he had walked away relatively unscathed. It seems the consequences would be minor, his skit of a few hours ago would never have been enough to indemnify him. We both must be safe. 
I was so very wrong again. Instead of a cool-down period, I had just given my mother enough time to build up a head of steam. Something in my entire life I had only seen a couple of times, and hardly ever towards me personally. In the present case, she had clearly drawn a straight line from Lucifer to me, while somehow failing to indict her youngest son. The charges were not clearly levied, but the punishment certainly was. She had removed my stocking from where the others hung, and left a note there that in so many words said that I had forfeited my invitation to enjoy Christmas in her home. A pariah in my own mother's home. Wow! She, my dad, and brother Joe had all gone for the day to my mom's sister's house a few towns over, about ten miles away. Standing there alone, I realized that there were no presents with my name on them under the tree. If she had left the stocking up and filled mine to the top with an Irish devil's coal, she would not have been able to cut any more excruciatingly to my heart. Yet I couldn't understand how or why I was being singled out for such extraordinary treatment. Joe had been as bad or worse than me but he seemed to have gotten a pardon. I was soon to find out why. The array of transgressions was broad indeed. However, the one that so utterly enraged Mrs. Murphy would hardly have been on my radar had I tried to discern the source. The conundrum was solved for me a few hours later. It was not the early morning hour. It was not that we had left her worrying. It was not the embarrassment in front of her friends. It was not the bloodied countenance of Joe coming down the stairs. No, it was the short drive from Oak Grove Station to her house. In fact, it was even more narrow. It was the fact that I, as the eldest, had allowed my younger brother to get behind the wheel when we were both clearly, seriously impaired. The fairness of this one-sided indictment notwithstanding, Implicit in her logic was that I, as the eldest, had some degree of control over Joe after he tumbled down the stairs at Oak Grove. Nothing is farther from the truth. I could not have dissuaded him from driving, no matter how strong my argument. In addition, possession being the operative consideration, he had the car keys from earlier in the evening. Very hypothetically, we possibly could have argued to a stalemate and maybe taken a cab from the station to her house, but that would have assumed a level of sober contemplation, far beyond the reality of the situation. It would also have required some means of communication in the wee hours with a cab company, which in and by itself would have been problematic in the pre-cell phone world. Any counter-arguments by me were futile. Concluding her position, my mother's argumentative coup de gras was so simple it was indefensible. She told me that as the oldest, it was just my responsibility, period. No matter how much culpability rightly rested with my brother, as the oldest, I would serve the time. So ordered the judge, at least the only one who mattered in her house. So what to do? I doubted my mother would be able to hold the punishment line in a public setting. Although, in all candor, she had already shown behavior that day 
that did not resemble what I knew to be her core personality. She had been on an aberrant tear just a few hours earlier. Facing her would still be a roll of the dice. There was another germane factor. My mom's sister, Sheila, had always been somewhat doting on me. It probably stemmed from when she lived with my family in her early twenties, and I was a sort of surrogate younger brother to her. I was pretty sure that there would not be a united front there. It would be harder for my mother to make a scene if she was so inclined. I also knew my mother to not be the really vindictive or confrontational type of person. Once she had vented her spleen by removing the stocking and writing the note, she would inevitably be looking for a way to be more conciliatory, without, however, losing face on the underlying issue that continued to burn for a long time, somewhat like a smoldering peat bog wildfire that takes a winter's fall of snow before it can be extinguished. I also had a pacifier of sorts. I still had the book we had toted all through Boston the prior day, and it was still a great present. With all that quasi-logic in mind, I cleaned up and hopped in a second car my parents had at the house, and made the drive to Sheila's house. This car had seen much better days, and was more a reserved vehicle than a daily drive. Yet, even with its loose steering linkage and questionable brakes, I successfully navigated through a few small Massachusetts towns until I got there about noon. Sheila lived in the small town in which I had grown up before moving to Florida, and I knew the route well. End Episode 5 An Irish Devil's Coal by R. W. Murphy